Hey guys, it's Ashton from ColourPop. Welcome back to Colorful. Today I am so excited about our guest, Trixie Mattel, the queen of all queens. She has completely redefined what it means to be a drag queen, not only in the sense of makeup and costume, but also in the sense of being a multi-hyphenate. Trixie is a singer, songwriter, comedian, author, and television personality. She didn't have the easiest start growing up in a small town in the Midwest and, you know, being into something and having a vision that wasn't always kind of the most celebrated or even understood at the time. And she has just broke so many barriers. I think this episode is super inspiring for anyone that feels like they're onto something but might be questioning if what they're into is maybe a little bit weird or no one else has done it. This episode is for you. For anybody looking to start their own business, this episode is for you. I really hope you guys enjoyed listening to this one half as much as I enjoyed recording it. So Trixie, um, tell us how, how did this all start? You grew up in a small town in the Midwest. Take us back to your earliest memories of makeup and dress up. Well, um, I was always really obsessed with girl toys. Um, <laughs> I was kind of a gay kid and I always loved, you know, um, Polly Pocket and Barbie and My Little Pony and Betty Spaghetti and, and Strawberry Shortcake and anything like that. Anything kind of hyper feminine toys I just loved. Um, and I wasn't allowed to play with toys like that. So um, I just always really kind of coveted toys like that. Like my cousin or a girl at school would have one and I would play with it. Um, you know, I loved like the Spice Girl dolls. I just was always so into girl toys. Well after the age I should even be that interested in toys, I just have always loved girl toys. I just always loved Barbie so much and I always loved Polly Pocket and, and like mm-hmm. as an adult, My Little Pony and stuff like that with Trixie, those are still like my primary inspirations. And you know, in drag, everybody wants to look like a female celebrity and I always wanted to look like a toy. You know, like to me, the height <laughs> of glamor was, you know, synthetic hair, plastic skin you know, obtuse proportions and sort of like heightened clothing, not real clothing, sort of. I always wanted Trixie to look like if you pulled a string on her back, she would talk. That was sort of my original inspiration. <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, you definitely accomplished that. And yeah, it was such a, a, a fresh approach to drag that, you know, really a lot of people hadn't seen before. Um, so your earliest kind of foot in the industry was it working at mac i i understand you you worked at mac ulta sephora like you really made the rounds yeah. my first job this is so funny um <laughs> i don't know if you remember the brand duop duop cosmetics yes they were their claim to fame was to think a product called lip venom which was like a plumper yes, yes um they posted a craigslist ad and i was you know a makeup enthusiast i was 20 i think 19 maybe even 20 you know, putting makeup on in my house, like playing, playing, doing drag at home. I was doing drag, you know, and uh, my first like retail cosmetics job, I answered a Craigslist ad and I remember it paid $19 an hour, which was like crazy to me. And I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I lied on the resume. Let's just say <laughs> I flushed it out. What and did you flush it out with? Tell us. Like, you know, my clients that were my references were like friends I'd done their makeup going out. I see. You know what I mean? I like see. that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've done her makeup for a Christmas, for a Halloween party. So she's my client, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I got that job and it was, um, I worked through the holiday season. And on the tail of that job, I got a part-time job at the Ulta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while I was working at the Ulta in Brookfield, Wisconsin, I, while I was working at the Ulta, I started freelancing at Mac 
then I got part-time at Mac, so I left Alta. And then I stayed with Mac through college. I was a musical theater student. I stayed with Mac through college. And then I was in beauty school. Um, I left Mac. I was famously fired. And then I left Mac to go to beauty school. And I was, you know, I was doing drag three or four or five times a night or a week by this point. Oh, wow. So then I was working as a drag queen like three, four or five nights a week. And I was in beauty school during the day and I worked front desk at a hair salon during the day too. So mm-hmm. I was um, very busy. Those were like, I mean, I'm busier now, but I remember at the time thinking like, I remember at the time coming home and like crying because I was so tired and I had to like sleep six hours and go to an 11 hour beauty school day the next day. You know what I mean? Like oh I was gosh. so stretched thin, but I just, I loved beauty and I hadn't really, I was doing drag, but I hadn't really started doing stand up or comedy or anything. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of why I was a successful freelance makeup artist was because of my sense of humor, my personality. But I've also been mm-hmm. fired from a lot of jobs for things I thought were hilarious <laughs> that, you know, were maybe over the line in a workplace environment. So um, I think I was meant to do comedy and I didn't figure it out yet. <laughs> so it's funny, you know, a lot of the people that we've talked to on the podcast that are, you know, enormously successful, um, Patrick Taw is a name that came to mind. He always talked about how he was always on the cusp of getting fired at Mac, but you actually did get fired. So what 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 did you get fired for? What did you do? Um, it was funny because it, it was it's so stupid now. I had this client who, you know, she it was in a Macy's, a Mac store in a Macy's. Mm-hmm. And she used a gift card and there was like, I don't know, a dollar left on the gift card or something. And I was like, you have some money left on this. And she was like, I don't want it. She's like, buy yourself a coffee or something. I don't need a dollar. So I was like, thank you. So I went over to the Starbucks attached to the Macy's. I bought my morning coffee or whatever. I, I was like, here, there's, there should be like a dollar on this just to put on this. It was, you know, from a customer. And um, I got fired for that. They counted it as like stealing. If you're an employee, oh you're gosh. not supposed to use gift cards. And I got fired. It was the number one salesperson at that counter, I was full time. I had appointments booked all the time. And it was oh so humiliating gosh. because maybe I'm naive. It didn't even occur to me. You're an employee at a big company. You are not supposed to be using gift cards. But like my 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 makeup appointment was like, I'm going to throw this away. Put this towards your little drink you get in the morning or whatever. And yeah. I remember being like, yeah, sure. And it was so humiliating because it was like, you know, I it was like a tip. And I guess I shouldn't have used up gift card it just didn't even occur to me so then that is just so not what i was expecting i was expecting like a wild story and it was no and it was so humiliating because i loved i loved working for mac and i i really was like this is my career i want to work with mac forever i mean i still use mac i love the product i love the company but i was so humiliated because i guess i was too young to realize like you're an idiot this is a retail store and that's a fireable offense you're an employee using a gift card but it just didn't even occur to me. Like, earnestly hooked me up to a, a lie detector test. It didn't even occur to me. I was just like, yeah, my appointment gave me this to use toward my coffee as like a tip. That was sweet of her. Yeah, sure. I'll use it. Like, it yeah. didn't even cross my mind. Oh. So it's oh. so funny now. I mean, it was such a learning opp- opportunity because looking back, I'm like, you're such an idiot. This is like, <laughs> yeah, I think I was making like 16 or $17 an hour, which, you know, for a retail job in the Midwest was crazy money. I was rich. Yeah. I, was, I could pay between that and doing drag shows at night. I could pay my rent in a you know few days, and I felt rich at the time because you know I grew up super poor. So to me, working at the mall when you're a poor kid, employees mm-hmm. at the mall are the richest looking employees. That's the fanciest job. Oh, and wow. I loved doing makeup, and I got to do makeup on really all genders, all ethnicities. Um language barriers, all ages, different personal styles. It really 
taught me so much about makeup artistry. And that that job really catapulted me into freelance too, because I was doing, in the summers in Wisconsin, everybody gets married and I was spring through fall doing a wedding a weekend. And I just oh, wow. love doing, it's so funny now to be Trixie and have be kind of famous for this extreme style of makeup because I used to do beauty makeup on people. I mean, I used to <laughs> put ladies in, you know, this time, it was eight years ago, everybody just wanted to look like a Kardashian. So like a soft smoky <laughs> eye with a lash and a nude lip for their wedding. And But anyway, I, I don't hold any, looking, obviously now I'm fine. And But I was so devastated at the time. But the funny thing is, because I was devastated and I lost my full-time job, I had all this free time. So I was like, well, I guess I'll audition for the show Drag Race. I have no reason not to. I have all this free time. And I got on it. So like, I always think if I hadn't been fired, I probably wouldn't even audition for Drag Race. My life would be totally different. Oh my gosh. Isn't that weird? Uh, It's weird, but it just goes to show that everything happens for a reason. As cliche as it sounds, you're just another another story that proves that. But I want to talk about your experience on Drag Race. It's pretty wild that you were eliminated in your original season and then won your way back into the competition. Can you take us through that? Yeah. I mean, this was a lot of years ago now, but it was like, you know, I go on the world's largest drag competition show. I'm 24, I guess. And I'm wow. like, I want, I, I, I'm like, I want to win. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to win. And then, you know, everybody who goes on that show thinks they're going to win. You think you're going to win. So then uh, I go home fourth. I'm devastated. I come back halfway through the competition. I have to win this challenge with this conjoined twin challenge where I have to uh, make a costume and sew my, basically sew myself to another drag queen and do twin look. And we won and I got to stay for a few more episodes, which was cool. Um, but I didn't win. But honestly, losing, wanting to win so bad and losing really – I always say like RuPaul telling me like you're not America's Next Drag Superstar made me so like I'll show you. I'll show everyone kind of mm-hmm. like w- like obviously it's a competition show and there's really no losers. It's a room full of talented people who get to showcase their talent. It's just It's just structured like a competition, you know. Eliminations and winning and losing is kind of neither here nor there in a way. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to do well and I didn't do well. And so it really made me go on and kind of be a very focused, self-employed entertainer where I was like, I'm going to show everyone I'm a better drag queen than what I was on television, you know? Okay. So you were criticized for your wild makeup on the first season, like we talked about. No one else really had this style. Um, And you stayed true to it when you came back. And I don't think a lot of people maybe would have done that. So how did you take that feedback and kind of say, okay, you know what? I'm taking this feedback, but I'm staying true to me. Um, one of my character flaws is <laughs> I just really I'm really stubborn and I can't be told anything. Yeah. And so when they were like, "It's a lot of makeup. It's a lot of makeup," I was just kind of like, "Yeah, duh." Like <laughs> it's it's yeah. So then when the world was sort of like you know people hadn't really seen as much makeup as I had on not on television anyway. Mm-hmm. So the world was sort of like, "Whoa, this is crazy." And I remember being like. I'll show all of you. And then I started putting on so much makeup. Like after season seven, that's when I started going really off the rails. For a few years, I had huge, huge makeup. And then I kind of, when I went on TV, I I brought it down a little bit just for television. (laughs) But the Trixie face, like love it or hate it, it's just, I mean, it's just kind of my thing now. And it's so funny that even on a local level, the makeup that used to kind of like make drag queens not want to book me or not take me seriously is now sort of like my calling card. Um, and who knew that like, you know, beauty standards are usually about homogenizing and making everyone look the same. And for me, creating a makeup style, that's sort of a parody of, I mean, you can tell that I created this makeup when I was working at a Mac counter 
and beauty school, et cetera, because it's sort of every beauty standard turned up to like 11. It's the biggest mm-hmm. lashes, the thickest liner, the deepest contour, the biggest lips, the skinniest nose, the highest arch brows. It's just every beauty standard to the extreme. And so it's both beautiful and a little disturbing to look at. But that was intentional, you know? So when people react to it that way, I'm like, yeah, I made it to look a little disarming. It's supposed to be a little crazy looking. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take you? Like, did you find inspiration one day and you were like, this is it? Or how long were you refining it until it was your signature look? I mean, over the years, it's changed. You can tell sometimes I'll switch the way I do a feature. Like, like I just started doing thinner brows again. For a while, I was doing mm-hmm. really thick brows that were very light. And now I've gone back to doing thinner brows that are a little darker. Mm-hmm. Um, or for a while, I was doing liquid foundation. Um, like for my ColourPop masterclass, I was doing liquid. Recently, mm-hmm. I've gone back to doing cream all over my face. Um, cause that it's just a different look it, the, the skin looks a little cushier at the end mm-hmm. versus liquids for me for zoom and stuff are better because they are easier to wear on my face without like, like I can take liquid off my face and not need as much recovery time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus like heavy creams and stuff can be a little taxing. Um, but I'm always changing parts of it. But if you notice how it's changed over the years, the liner is always thick. The white liner is always dropped underneath. Mm-hmm. The cheeks are always cut, but like. The shape of the eyeshadow, the shape of the lashes, the shape of the brows, things like that will change. Mm-hmm. My hairstyles will change. I've been wearing a lot more updos lately. Um, and especially with the Zoom culture now, I wear a lot more like blouses and like big earrings and jewelry because my bottom half doesn't show. So I'm wearing more like shoulder pads mm-hmm. and hair jewelry and things that you see from the waist up because I do YouTube, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you become Trixie Mattel? How did you come up with the name? Well, um, I didn't have a great relationship with my stepdad and he used to call me a Trixie whenever I was acting too feminine. Um, So to me, like that was sort of like the word faggot or something where I was like, that word Mm -hmm. just irks me. And so Mm -hmm. I was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and the character's name I was playing, I got, I was playing was a drag queen character kind of called Trixie. And that was like a sign to me that I was like, well, I'm supposed to keep this as my name. Um. And also it sounds like a kind of a toy or like a dog's name. It has like a a heightened feel to it. No one's really named that. Yeah. Um, And then I took Mattel because when I first started, nobody knew who I was. But the the older drag queens were like, oh, you know, that new girl, the the girl who looks like a Barbie. Um, (laughs) And Mattel is obviously the inventor and manufacturer of Barbie. Mm -hmm. So Trixie Mattel sort of. And it just has a ring to it. Like when I first said it out loud, like it has like a da-da-da-da, like a cadence yeah. Um. And Trixie Mattel, the first half of it sounds so jokey and cutesy. And Mattel has sort of a, it has a plastic like kind of fashion-y feel to it. And that's what I liked about it. And it tells you everything you need to know. It's like, oh, it's kind of this jokey first name with this kind of like this toy company last name. I mean, I think that tells you a lot about what you're going to see. Yeah, totally. When and where was your first drag performance? Well, I was doing Rocky Horror at the Oriental mm-hmm. Theater in Milwaukee. And um, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, I got to do drag, which was, it was Rocky Horror though. So it wasn't just drag. It was kind of like cross-dressing, you know, face paint, Halloween costumes, nudity, whatever you wanted to do was kind of free game. And it wasn't necessarily drag. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I turned 21, I went out to the uh, Lacage in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in drag. 
And this guy came up to me and was like, who are you? Like, I got to introduce you to the other drag queens. You should do shows here. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm new. I'm 21. I'm just like, I've never been here before. And I met one of the girls in the show and she was like, are you available next Wednesday? It's like an unpaid spot. But if you want to come do a number, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I, you know, panicked all week and it was so stressful to put a number together and I was so scared. And when I first, I remember I walked out on that stage and that light hit me and it was just like, I mean, I've been a theater and a musician person my whole life, but mm-hmm. being her, being this like otherworldly sort of, I mean, I wasn't as good of drag. At, like looking back, I looked crazy, but <laughs> this idea, this like plastic person, fake person, like playing a life-size mannequin to me was just like so enticing in a way to be, to pretend to be a fake person. And in a way, a lot of ways in drag, you are a fake person. You have, you don't have a social security number. That's not a real first name. That's not your real nose. You know, that just stepping out of myself had create was very creatively stimulating in a way that theater and music really wasn't. And playing another person had so much freedom. And I didn't really understand what it was, but it just it hooked me so fast. And I just I remember feeling like I walked I walked off stage and got out of drag, and I remember being like, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. It was like. Wow. It was like light, like a light bulb. Like I didn't know I would be doing it the way I am now. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, let's be honest, besides RuPaul, there wasn't really drag queens doing it on this level. So I had no idea I would be, you know, the Trixie of now, but like, I knew that something was there. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, social media. You're super savvy with your Instagram and your YouTube channel. Um, how did you, how did you know to lean into that? And when did you start really crafting a social strategy? Well, I started doing drag heavily right around the time of like when Instagram was kind of starting. So it was kind of a natural thing to me. Like I was a, around 21 mm-hmm. when I first posted a picture in drag. So I was like right when I was working in the clubs. So I was a working makeup artist and a drag queen. So everything I was doing was very visual. And Instagram is a very visual platform. It was just such a natural transition. I loved Instagram and I still do. And I run my own socials. I'm probably the only person. Oh, wow. Was, still. I run Yeah, I run my own social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like running my own social media because I think when drag queens don't do it themselves, it's so transparent. It's so obvious. Like there's drag queens where like they clearly pay someone because like someone will post on a Monday. Like there's one account I follow, I won't say who it is, but every Monday they post a <laughs> gif of this drag queen and it's like walking into Monday like, and I'm like, okay, this is not you. This is like a robot. <laughs> yeah, totally. And people follow totally. you because it's like a direct line to you. So Without that, what are you doing? It's just like a fan website, basically. Totally. Do you engage with DMs? I'm sure you get DMs like crazy all the time. Do you? Uh, no, people? I don't engage with DMs because um, I try to keep the separation between fans and me. Uh, I don't want to say fans, the audience and me. I try to keep mm-hmm. a separation there. Okay. okay. I really try not to think too much about the way they consume the media or what they think of it or what they don't mm-hmm. like or do like because it's such a slippery slope. Let's be honest, people follow you because of your artistic point of view. And once you start diluting that with, uh, all right, I have this idea. What's the way to do it where everyone likes it the most? I guess there's a difference between that, wanting to make it good and quality and potent, let's say potent, Mm -hmm. and making it, taking the front teeth out of it and making sure it doesn't offend anyone or making sure the look is very like universal, stuff like that. I think it's such a slippery slope. And I found that keeping my relationship with the audience separated. You know, meet and greets are a thing. I do meet and greets, but otherwise, like, I'm up here, you're over there. My job is to do my thing while you watch, and, like, that's it. 
Yeah, you seem to have a very healthy relationship with social, which is very refreshing. You know, there are a lot of people that just get completely gutted by the comment section or are, you know, like you said, maybe watering themselves down a little bit because they do want to appeal to everybody. But um, I think that kind of goes back to maybe what you were talking about previously, which is no one can tell you anything. You are going to stay the course and keep going to what you think is is best for Trixie Mattel. So something, something to respect uh, and learn a lot from. Yeah, I mean, I don't really relate to the idea of like social media ruined my life or like social media makes me feel bad about myself because it's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be not compassionate, but like you don't have to look at it. It's not like your phone is on the inside of your eyelids. Like, go for a run, watch a TV show, call your mom, put some makeup on. There's so many great... uh, Make a t-shirt. Like, Jordan, can we get a t-shirt of that made? That is so refreshing to hear. You know, like, it's a wonderful thing. It's a tool. It's basically basically a website. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, it's a website. They call it social media. It's not more than that. It's a website. And um, you can engage in it in ways that are healthy or unhealthy. And whatever, people are always – when you walk down to the Panera Bread and walk in, somebody you, somebody might go, wow, that person has a big nose or like, wow, that person uh, has a weird-shaped body, whatever. That doesn't change in the real life. People just – you don't have access to their thoughts. And also mm-hmm. the type of person that comments negative things, I don't respect that person. I don't – like a normal person does not do that. Here, we here. always say like in drag – there's a drag queen, Sharon Needles, and she always says like, do you care what Beth from Iowa thinks about your drag? Like, <laughs> meaning like your job is to yes. do your drag, not filter it through what anyone who has an opinion of it thinks. I didn't start cross-dressing. Let's be honest, drag is cross-dressing. I didn't start cross-dressing in an effort to make everyone like me. So I'm very okay with people finding parts of my my act or my face or whatever offensive or over the line or inappropriate or I mean, half the country would probably have me put in jail for wearing a wig in the first place. You know what I mean? Oh America's gosh. amazing, but don't forget that, like, half this country hates gay people. So, like, yeah. I'll never forget that. And being a drag queen, I can't even walk into a room and and blend in. So I'm okay with somebody walking – me walking on the street and somebody's shouting faggot at me. Like, okay. You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm not okay with it, but, like – you're not going to let it ruin your day. Or and, take you yeah, and it's the same up. with social media. Like, you don't like something, great. Okay, great. I didn't think this was funny. I don't like that lip color. What, whatever. Yeah. Because people will always show up on my – things like, um, I don't I don't know why she's so popular. Like, like stuff like that where I'm like, don't follow me. I don't follow <laughs> you. Yeah. You follow me. So what's what's the deal? Why do you follow something you don't like, you weirdo? I don't follow – I, I, I'm a YouTuber. I mean, I have a million YouTube followers. I follow like eight accounts and like two of them are food. One of them is video games. Like it's not even that – it's not even all beauty people, mm-hmm. you know? So you always have wonderful options to – with drag. Like you have wonderful options to – there's so many drag queens and just find the one that's for you. I love that. On that note, who are some um, up-and-coming queens that you admire or that you think are going to – kind of make a name for themselves or maybe already have and you just really admire oh i have some favorites um there's this queen granny who is on twitch who does twitch streams in character as an old woman oh my god no one knows what she looks like or what her real voice is and she does she does kind of like a mrs doubtfire kind of thing i think that's really cool i like when drag queens have like a character um who else is up and coming i'm kind of out of touch because i just uh I don't really know a lot of new drag queens because I kind of tour alone now. 
Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, your relationship with Katya. Um, you know, we knew that you were good friends with her, um, are good friends with her, and she was another contestant from Drag Race. What was it like starting your own show together? And how how was it mixing friendship and business? For us, it's been very easy. I mean, we're very different people and we're very separate people. Like we're best mm-hmm. friends, but we aren't together all the time. We don't hang out a lot. Um, mm-hmm. We hang out on camera a lot, um, which is great. So like our friendship is really like fed and watered by the time we spend at work together. I mean, she's kind of my work friend in a way, you know? Yeah. We don't have this like existing friendship off camera. Like we're not like going to dinner together, going on trips. You know, we don't really do that. So oh, it was really easy for us because we did an episode of a show together and there was this chemistry that I'd never really felt before. And so I called World of Wonder and was like, can we do a show together? I didn't know anything about cameras. It's not like I could film it myself. And I was like, can we do a show together? I mean, we just have to, and they were like, well, what's it about? And I was like, well, just turn on the cameras. You, I kind of was basically like, I knew the chemistry was like something cr- like once in a lifetime. And so I was like, just turn on the cameras and you'll see what this is about kind of thing. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. something like it's cool. And um, we've had a show for, we're in season five now, you know? Wow. Wow. Um, so you are such a multi-hyphenate. You do so much. Um, a singer, a guitarist, a book writer, a stand-up comedian, cosmetic brand owner, and of course, drag queen. Um, what's next for you? Like, what what is something you can't do or what is something that you qu- haven't quite set your sights on yet, but is the next kind of thing to accomplish? I mean, it's it's kind of insane, all the things that you do. It's really crazy. Sometimes I think, like, you need to pick a lane because I just uh, – <laughs> I just believe in Trixie and I just think she can do anything. So when I get an idea for something Trixie, I just go for it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this year we had Trixie and Katya's Guide to Modern Womanhood come out, which was a New York Times bestseller, which was such a gag. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't I didn't dream of writing books. So, like, to be a bestseller was just psycho, just crazy. You know, I, I, was, at yeah. the, I was at the mall the other day and – Barnes and Noble, there's a big display of Trixie of my face at the bookstore. I'm like, this is crazy, you know? Or like, same with the records. I always think I'm pushing my luck. You know what I mean? I made Two Birds, my first record myself. I think with the album art and all of it, I probably spent 20 grand on it, which is, you know, for albums, nothing. And it charted, I remember it charting on iTunes and being like, what? Like, I wrote all these songs myself and recorded it. Like, what? And, you know, now we've done, Barbara was this year, it charted this year, and, um, our new projects, you know, like I always, when I complete something, I'm always on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. We just hit a million on the YouTube channel, which is so exciting. Yeah. Um, the, my podcast, The Bald and the Beautiful with Katya with the Studio 71 Network, we are just uh, top 10 uh, podcasts in comedy already, which is such a gag. Um, I know Corona is so sad, but it's been such a weird year because I've had so many career milestones this year that happened while I was home with the book and, mm-hmm. and Barbara and things where I'm like... This is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, um, I just, I, I love the makeup company. I love making makeup. You know, every single launch we have to me is like a new, a new company in a way, like a new story. So like we have palettes and lips and stuff coming out through the rest of the next two years. And I think of each one of those kind of as their own little, to me, they feel like a book or an album or something. They're, they're like a story to me. We try to tell the story of those products. Just always working. <laughs> uh, was the podcast in the works pre-corona or did the pandemic make you want to reach people in a different way? How did that come about? 
I think we talked about it a little bit at the start of Corona and we got to start doing it. I guess we didn't realize how much we like it. We love doing it. We really love it. It's uh, it's so fun and um, we don't have to get in drag, which I love. And we get to talk yes. about, you know, the bald and the beautiful. We get to talk about beauty. The whole thing of the podcast is beauty. We talk about inner beauty, fitness, facial reconstruction, uh, getting your breast implants removed. I mean, we, we're really interested in talking about people's relationship with their own beauty, wearing makeup or not wearing makeup, plastic surgery, like anything beauty related, inner beauty, confidence. That's just endlessly interesting to me. And so that's kind of what our focus is with this. Awesome. So I want to talk about your your cosmetics brand a little bit. So you started it in 2019. Uh, how long was it in development? Can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration and creative process when developing shade choices, formula, packaging? Sure. So Tracy Cosmetics, um, we started, I remember if we opened, we opened about a year and a half ago. And I remember for the year before that, I was on tour about a year and a half before that. And I started drafting on my computer and on the tour bus, I would draft like basically like documents of like type of shades I want to make, what packaging might look like, shade names. Um, I was pulling images from the internet as like ideas for campaign. Like I was basically planning this company <laughs> as if like, if I ever get to do this, I have all these ideas. And, um, you know, like I said, we really tell the stories of these collections. So like, Ooh, it'll be this collection. It'll be this kind of theme. And the art will be like this with this kind of product. Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, Especially being a Mac person, I always like how that those collections are kind of like fashion capsule collections where it's a whole narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my first, I knew I wanted to do glitters because I'm I love glitter, and I knew I wanted to like I started the company myself with my own money, so I was like, well, let's start with one really hot universal like neon pink lipsticks, one of those colors that looks good on everyone and no one because it's just so <laughs> wacky. Yeah, yeah. And that way, like, we'll test the waters. And if it flops, you know, I can sell it as merchandise and we don't have to necessarily pursue it as a makeup company. Mm -hmm. And the response was, was so great. And we've gotten to grow so quickly that now we kind of just have the pro – now we just struggle keeping things in stock because, you know, we just launched Red Scare last week. Red Scare collection sold out in nine minutes. Wow. So now as an independent company, we just struggle with trying to keep things in stock, you know. Uh, congratulations. That is no easy feat. It's crazy. I mean, you know, from somebody who's worked in, you know, I used to watch people shop for makeup for a living. Yeah. So it's very educational to watch people shop for makeup. And, you know, drag queens and normal people, we all want the same thing. We want something that works well. It's easy and fun to use. And it, it's priced fairly. Mm -hmm. And with Trixie, I found that people like an escape from their adult life by kind of like by way of their memories of being a child. And so with Trixie kind of reminding people of toys, I like that the makeup we make is pro formulas, but the packaging is like toy packaging. You know, I wanted something that was like pro formula, but in packaging from like limited to, you know, oh, like something yes. where we could be really obnoxious and girly and glittery and then have the formula be incredible. Where like it, it wears well, it lasts all day, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I find so many things fascinating about you, but one of the things I find most fascinating is your doll collection. Yeah. So First of all, how many do you own? God, I don't even know. Um, more than, mm, less than a thousand, probably. <laughs> less than less a thousand. Less than a thousand. Okay, okay, but less than a than thousand. more than 500, less than a thousand, probably somewhere in there. Oh, wow. Um, okay, so how and when did this collection start? 
I was kind of on the road and I, I was always looking to Barbie for inspiration. Like when I needed costumes for things, I was always studying mm-hmm. Barbie fashions and different Barbie designers through the years. I kind of became fans of Barbie di- designers the way you become fans of fashion houses. So like yeah. certain designers who designed for Barbie during different decades, I kind of like stand them and learn their work. And then I love Barbie so much. I started getting vintage dolls as gifts from fans. And then I stepped. And so like the fans almost started my collection because I didn't oh, own wow. Barbies until they started getting gifted to me. And then I, the more research I did on what I had, the more I found dolls I wanted to add to the collection. And then it kind of went off the rails. Like when I'm on tour, my favorite like downtime activity is I'm like researching dolls, researching looks. Um, you know, I like to buy dolls and outfits and put them in the collection. Like right now I'm not just Barbie. Right now I'm tracking down all the Spice Girl dolls that they made. Um, I oh, have about 15 so of them, but I think there's probably closer to fo- to 30. So there's, I think, or something like 25, 30. So I'm trying to like complete my sets here. And then I'm trying to buy two of each so that I can have some in the box. And then I want to, in my music studio, I want to take them all out and put them on shelves because I think the Spice Girls in my music studio will be good, good juju, good vibes. Oh, love that. Yeah, I was going to ask. So are these all on display? Do they have their own room? Are they going to eventually have their own little house? Like what, where are you keeping these? Uh, my dining room has a uh, shelf with probably mm, 100, 150 on it, maybe. Oh, wow. And then my bedroom, I probably have another 100. Wow. And then there's a dream house in my bedroom, too. Uh, and then my closet in my bedroom is full of like the dream houses through the years, cars, stuff like that. And then I have a closet in my house. Those are my dolls in the boxes. So my closet in my house has the dolls in the boxes. And there's probably, you know, four or 500 in the in the closet, in boxes. Wow. They're just fun. I mean, they inspire me. They they make me inspired for make, getting clothing and uh, looks and hair and makeup. And to me, they're just a fun investment. Like I'm taking care of them. They're They're going to sell for more someday. And or, or I'll die and be buried with them. Who knows? But I just, I love Barbie. She means so much to me. And dolls are amazing because it's a time capsule of American culture. You know, that doll tells you at that year, this is what people's hair look like, their outfits look like. This is a career that was aspirational for young girls at that time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The box, yeah. the way the box is designed might tell you a little bit more about um, like what design was like fonts, colors. I get inspired by the packaging sometime as much as I get inspired by the toy inside, really. Oh, I love that. I love, love, love that. Yeah. Um, okay. And I've got to become so, friends with some of the designers over the years, which is so surreal, you know, to personally know. know some of the people who work at Mattel or work behind the scenes, you know, and Mattel's always been really nice to me. I'll meet designers and people from that company and they always reach out and they're always like, hey, we saw that article you did in Vogue about Barbie. Thanks for the mentioning us, oh. stuff like that. Well, I'm on the edge of my seat for a Trixie Mattel Barbie collab. So, oh, couldn't you imagine? I mean, a doll. Oh, I can. Well, (laughs) I I got to do a Funko Pop a few years ago, which was so surreal. Oh wow! Um, You know, having a Funko Pop of Trixie in the world is such—it's so crazy. I mean, you know, this is a character I kind of dreamt up in my college dorm room. You know, I learned to put makeup on using you know, Wet and Wild and store brand from the CVS down the street in college. Like to be to be able to be where I'm at with her. It's so crazy sometimes to connect. Wow, that's the same character I thought of this long ago. That's mm-hmm. crazy. It is. How do you um, how do you define success now? Um, not financial as much as freedom. Like mm-hmm. I love what I love about being like Trixie is 
I love being creative and freedom, mostly on my own terms. Like I have deadlines and mm-hmm. stuff, but I can kind of work at any time of the day. I can talk about whatever I want, look however I want, write music about whatever I want. Management and stuff, All everybody who surrounds me is very trusting of kind of my instincts. They let me kind of, you know, when I did Barbara this year, when, you know, my vinyl that came out this year, uh, it's a side A, side B. It's two different records split and they kind of sound different. And for me to pitch that to my, you know, music management and have them be like, yeah, let's do it. Even though that's kind of a weird thing to do. You know, usually my instincts are are right. And like for me, it's that little voice, artistic voice of like, if, if something seems right for Trixie, I usually the key is for me to just listen to it, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know it. why this song makes sense to me, but I'm writing it. And a lot of times when I write my music, I don't even know what the song is really about until I'm done with it. And then I'm like, oh, I guess that's what I was talking about. I guess, oh, wow. you know, like when it's done, it tells me what I was feeling almost. Wow. You know, I'm like, why does this metaphor make sense to me? Or what, like, why is this song called this? What does that mean to me? And then as I finish the song and I'm recording it, I'm like, oh, I guess this, this has a kind of double meaning. I guess I wrote this in a way where it kind of means this and no one's going to know that because it's kind of coded. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like YouTube, doing YouTube this year. I mean, coronavirus took me off the, cur- I was supposed to tour the entire year and then being stuck at home, I was like, well, I have my cameras and I have my YouTube channel and I can still do videos and be do comedy and, and wear wigs, I I um I just have to figure it out. So, you know, I did a lot of self-education on cameras and lighting and sound. You know, I film and record all my own videos. I even edit some of them. So I'm just very proud of uh, being hands-on with Trixie, you know. I'm very proud to like, I named every makeup product. I wrote all those songs. I, you know, film all these videos. And maybe that's why I have a lot of like confidence and sort of like pride. And I don't second guess a lot of things because if you ask me about anything I've done, I can tell you from the beginning to the end how it started, how I thought of it, what what the process was like and how it ended up, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not the type to do anything where I put my name on it and let it go and someone else does it. Yeah, and it shows. It shows and you're Which is why yeah, my fans will really follow me to yeah. any medium because they know that my fingerprints and my you know my my fingerprints and my bad breath are going to be all over it. You know what I mean? So like <laughs> they know that it's my work and my ideas. Yeah. Who has had the most positive impact on your life and why? It's probably a tie between my boyfriend, David, who I've been with for four years. He just is like, I mean, I always kind of believe in the good in people, but mm-hmm. the way he is the most wonderful, supportive, loving, honest, real, instant, like, like connection, like just, he just, he just makes me want to be the best of myself and do the best work and be the best boyfriend and just like do everything to the best. He just makes you want to be the best at everything. And and then I, I was kind of raised by my grandpa who was a comedian and a, a musician who played guitar. And, you know, my grandpa was a country musician who had a really dark sense of humor. And obviously he was just, you know, my idol. You know, I kind of added the drag element, but in a lot of ways, you know, I just always wanted to be him. He was a plumber who got up at five in the morning and, you know, worked until 4 p.m. and came home and had you know, sat at the kitchen table in his suspenders and drank brandy and played guitar. And I just thought he was Elvis. You know, I thought he was the funniest, coolest person. And and I st- he passed away, obviously, but I still think that. And I still think of him all the time, you know. Just this year when Barbara was on the charts, I was one of those moments where I was like, you know, I don't really believe in heaven or anything, but it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I hope, you know, I just wish there was a way my grandpa could see this because he would never believe. You know, uh-huh. he, he would blow his mind that I, my albums, you know, chart on billboard and itunes and i mean that's crazy 
that I go play with my band for thousands of people every night. That's crazy. You know, and sometimes like I wish there was two of me because believe me, when I have YouTube videos due and I'm on tour <laughs> and I'm working on a record and I'm running the makeup company, I do get stretched a little thin. Yeah, uh, sure. But I've learned to strategize and just keep people around me who, you know, nobody works for Trixie Cosmetics who's there for a paycheck. Everybody who's there is they want to make good products and they love the Trixie kind of vibe and they want to be proud of everything we do. And, you know, my my very small staff at Trixie Cosmetics, it's only probably five of us, um, oh, wow. maybe 10 when we talk, we talk about part timers. We're all there because my name is on it. All of our names is on it. And everything we do, we want to be like that, that blush, that blush palette, that lipstick, that is that bitch. You know, like we love it. We're proud <laughs> of it. My band, they get up there and they want to play the best music that night. And so do I. My management, we want to go to a big corporation and squeeze out as much money as we, as we can. And so, so do I, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> we all just are like-minded and I'm really happy to share Trixie with people who, you know, it also gives them some direction that they wake up and go, all right, what can we do with Trixie today? How can we make this bubble bigger and, and make people smile and make a little money on the side, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about your grandfather. So he was the one that enrolled you in music lessons, correct? Uh, yeah, no, but yeah, my grandpa, uh, it's actually, a, that's a really cute idea, but my grandpa was a little <laughs> stiffer than that. And he was like, I was like, I want to learn guitar. And he was like, well, I taught myself guitar. And if you're meant to play guitar, you'll be able to pick this up and figure it out. And oh, so I love that. He kind okay, of made very... me teach myself. Okay. And I bought, I was 13. I bought guitar for dummies from, I think like the Barnes and Noble. And I read it cover to cover. And that taught me about things like tuning basic mm-hmm. chords, double stops, you know, pull-offs, like basic tech guitar technique. Because this was kind of pre, I had dial-up. I didn't have like videos to watch or anything. And my grandpa was self-taught, so it's not like he had great technique or anything. He was a good player. Um, and I was just obsessed with it. I wanted, to, I was obsessed with like Avril Lavigne and Michelle Branch and Sheryl Crow mm-hmm. and Melissa Etheridge and women with guitars to me. It was so beautiful, but powerful. Mm-hmm. And obviously gay men, we worship women and, and Women with guitars to me, it represented, you have to think in music, most people play guitar men. Guitars have sort of a, a masculine, almost phallic energy. Totally. And women wielding guitars and making music, it just had this subversive feel to it. Like like women having the power in their hands in a way. And to me as a gay boy who was kind of feminine, femme presenting, being feminine and powerful was so attractive to me. And who knew that I would be, you know, dressed as a woman playing a guitar all over the world. Who knew? Like, I didn't know. But I just knew that for music, for me, it came quickly to me. And guitar as a discipline was very rewarding. The more I put into it, the more I got out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, every hour I dedicated to getting my fingers stronger and stuff, I just became a better player who enjoyed it more. Um, and then I started singing and writing music. And I had so many secrets as a teenager because I was so gay and weird. And I had so many th- I was a straight A student <laughs> and stuff, but I was so gay and I just had so many secrets and writing music was a way for me to like basically tell people who were listening exactly what was going on without saying what it was. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of times in my earlier songs, a lot of the, the, a lot of the themes are like secrets and things I'll never say and unrequited relationship love, like very much closeted gay boy things, um, you know. And now as, as Trixie now, if you listen to Barbara, Songs like Malibu, where it's about being in the perfect relationship, or We Got the Look is about looking great. 
I couldn't have written those songs as a kid because I wasn't feeling that. But as as Trixie as an adult now, everything is so perfect. I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, I know that's not like relatable, but my life started out so awful. And the where it is now, every day I just I'm like, pinch me, you know, like I'm a self-employed artist who gets to express themselves and make money. Like, come on. No, that's that's amazing. And I love that you haven't lost sight of kind of where you started and still exhibit so much so much gratefulness for that so that's great it's rare where do you go for inspiration so if you're if you're feeling tapped like you said you you do almost spread yourself too thin across all of these things but you have learned how to strategize if you're lacking inspiration where do you go what do you do how do you find it um it depends on the project i want to work on so like when i was putting together grown up which was my Mm -hmm. tour this year that's like it's um delayed i'm still doing the rest of the world with it but it's very um it's, it's very like whatever I want the project to be, I kind of make a mood board like mm-hmm. mentally. Like I knew growing up was going to be really 60s. So I started watching Hullabaloo, American Bandstand, uh, The Brady Bunch, um, reading a lot of books about Mod Barbie, getting inspiration for the costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just go find it. And like I have some favorite songwriters. I love Amy Mann. I love The Shins, James Mercer. I love Jason mm-hmm. Isbell. Fountains of Wayne is literally my favorite band of all time. And songwriting inspiration is so easy for me to come by because I have so many songwriters who just blow me away. And I um, have so many artists in my rotation. I'm obsessed with the Go-Go's. I love their songwriting style. Um, so whoever I'm listening to, the, mu- the, the the music finds its way into my music. You can hear them. Mm-hmm. Like the ghosts of what I've been listening to kind of echo into what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Same with my looks. Like you can tell... I get, I'm really into the 60s right now. You can tell all my looks are kind of 60s centric. Um, that's kind of how that works. Yeah, very cool. Um, and then you're a comedian. When when did you find you had a knack for comedy? Is it something that's been ever present in your life? Is it a muscle that you kind of had to train? Tell us about that. Um, I remember in elementary school, I remember sitting at a cafeteria table with like the popular rich kids in my town. I don't know why I was there. Who knows? Uh, But it was like popular rich kids. And, you know, I'm from a small town. All the rich kids, their families had farms. They were like, they went to CCD classes. They were like, you know, good Christian, rich, pretty families. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, godless white trash in a trailer. So uh, I remember telling some, saying some joke that I heard my brother say. And the whole table laughed. And I remember being like, I'm not attractive. And I don't have money. And I, I don't have this good family like these people, but like I can kind of win over a room with a sense of humor. And that was a big like light bulb moment. And then obviously I just my brother, who's five years older than me and my grandpa are both, you know, dark, kind of crude, cutting comedy. Mm-hmm. And that, that I just wanted to be them. I just, you know, they were two of my idols and still are. Mm. What would you say to, you know, somebody that maybe isn't necessarily in beauty or drag or perhaps they are and what they're into is a little weird, a little polarizing, and they don't quite know if they're ready to pursue that the way that you have. What would you say to somebody that might be onto something but is nervous about what people think? It's kind of cheesy, but like you are onto something. If you think something (laughs) is the right idea, it is. If you think that you're like, I don't know why, but something about that feels like it just it just snaps into place for me. That's the thing you're supposed to be doing. 
You know, like I just think everything in the universe kind of has magnets and you should, mm. you got to listen, dude. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner and they say like, your body doesn't yell at you, but it whispers. Like, listen to your body if you're in pain or you need to take a break. Same with your artistic voice. Like, it's not going to scream, but it's going to be like an itch. And I always think like, it's almost like the temperature in the room changes one degree. And I'm like, oh, something's different. You know, <laughs> whatever just happened really just like resonated. And I'm listening. And I, before I worry about decoding why, I'm just going to pursue it. You know? I always yeah. write the song, make the thing, do the drag, whatever. And then maybe later I kind of figure out what I, what was the subtext for me? What did I really want out of it? What mm -hmm. did I want out of doing drag originally? At the time I was just doing it. I wasn't trying to analyze what it did for me as a person and what it freed up for me as a human being. Uh, I just was doing it because it felt right, you know? Yeah, so beautifully said. Um, well, that is a kind of perfect question to end on. I so enjoyed having you on, Trixie. You are beyond smart and inspiring, and I can't wait to see what comes out next from you. We're on the edge of our seat. I have no idea what it would be. I feel like you've covered most bases, but thank you so much for spending a good hour with us. Of course. Thank you guys so much, and thank you to ColourPop for always making wonderful, wonderful products. Aww. Oh, thank you. Of course. Thank you.